the, the topic that I have chosen to speak on today is freedom. This topic has been an interest to me uh, for, for quite a while now. Um, and, and I think it's an important topic for us to, to meditate upon because I think that there's a lot of confusion around the term. Because we as Christians hold the, the concept of freedom very near and dear to our hearts. We believe that, that Christ has set us free. But then we can also look out at our modern world and, and it seems that our modern world also holds freedom very near to, the, to their heart. And typically, I don't know about you, but, but any, anything that our modern world espouses, I tend to be a little suspicious of. And so I think it would be fruitful for us today to meditate on, on the term freedom, specifically what biblical freedom means, as opposed to the freedom that we we fixate on in our world. So to start off in, in uh, point number one, I said there is a deep yearning for freedom in our modern Western world. And I kind of get the sense by, by looking all around that I, I don't know what particular places to look to exemplify this the best, but uh, a few points um, worth consideration. Uh, point a, a there, I said, consider the Freedom in the World report. Okay, so this is a report that was put out by the Freedom House, which I think is a fairly reputable organization. They've been doing it for 50 years now. This, this happens to be the 50-year mark. Uh, they say in the struggle for democracy. Okay, so the Freedom in the World report, what they do is they rank order each country by how free they are. So this, in the year 2020, I believe, uh, the U.S. was said to be the 15th most free nation in the world. This was out of 165 nations that they studied. Okay. So uh, take heart. We may be basically godless, but at least we're pretty free. So they said in this Freedom of the World report, they said more than anything else, five decades of freedom in the world reports has demonstrated that the demand for freedom is universal. So they say that freedom is universal. They've, they have identified what they believe is the universal good with which we should all pursue, and that is freedom. Okay. So I also I kind of scanned the, the website of the, the United Nations and uh, which is a, 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 a very similar institution, and it has very, very similar sentiments. They're, they're trying to essentially, what, what Woodrow Wilson said before we entered World War I, we're trying to make the world safe for democracy. That's our goal today. We're trying to spread freedom to, to the entire world. Incidentally, there is a six-ton iron altar dedicated to the God of your choice in the Generally Assembly Building in the United Nations, which is pretty remarkable. <laughs> but it's very fitting to their worldview. So you can worship any God you choose so, so long as you support oh, world peace and combating AIDS and whatever other tenets they have on their, their agenda. 
So in the past, we've united together to spread Christianity, like in the Great Crusades. Now, the world unites together to spread freedom. So you can also see our fixation on freedom if you look at some of the popular stories that resonate in our culture today. So I'm a girl dad, so the story that immediately pops into my mind if I'm looking for an example of this is The Little Mermaid, which I don't know if, if you, many of you have seen that movie, but if you haven't, the, the plot line is essentially there's an obstinate, overprotective father who tries to hold his daughter back from exploring who she really wants to be. And of course, over the, over the course of the movie, the father comes to realize that he was wrong, his daughter was right, and that he's wrong to try to steer his daughter in the way that he thinks she should go. She should be free to, to, to live how she pleases. Now this plot line, you can basically multiply it times a thousand. You know, 90% of the shows that are advertised to my girls on television have this same plot. Right, and, and, and what is the message? Just as, as Nick was saying, be who you want to be, follow your heart. You are beautiful just the way you are. Right, some general themes emerge. So the theme that power corrupts. All authority figures in our stories are evil or inept or arbitrary. And the general tenor of, 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 our, of our mythos, of our stories, is that we do not need to submit to anything above ourselves. So the way that we write our laws and fashion our government and debate about political problems also demonstrates our fixation on freedom today. So most people, we hold as an axiom that everyone ought to be free. So many people tend to frame political debates not around what is right and what is wrong, but around which option affords the most freedom. So if we're looking for an example for this, oh, I don't, take the topic of slavery, for example. So it's basically universally accepted that slavery is one of the worst things that humanity has ever done. And the abolition of slavery is perceived as a crowning achievement of Western culture. And yet, biblically speaking, it's, it's really not that difficult to point to the fact that there's nothing wrong with owning slaves in the Bible. The law makes provision for how they are to be treated, where to be, where they're to be treated well, and slaves are admonished to serve their masters as if they were serving God in the New Testament. But that doesn't matter to us because we operate on a supposition that's totally separate from the Bible and that everyone ought to be free. So take anti-discrimination laws. It's illegal for us to discriminate based on race, color, religion, sex, nationality. There's probably a list of other things that I'm not even aware of that we're not allowed to discriminate against anymore. And the, the motivation behind it is that, well, you shouldn't do that because we should all be free to do exactly what we want. There should not be any unequal treatment of anyone. So you take the homosexuality debate. How many times have have you all heard the, the statement, you're free to do whatever you want in your own bedroom as long as you don't force it on me? I've heard many, many, many self-proclaimed Christians or at least self-proclaimed conservatives parrot this statement. Yeah. So whatever floats your boat, live and let live. It's like, well, I wouldn't do that myself, but I don't believe that it's the government's right to, to tell, tell me or anyone else what to do. 
So there's a quote by uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, from Query 17 in, in a text about religion uh, that I think encapsulates this idea pretty well. He said, the legitimate powers of government extends to such acts only as are injurious to others. But it does me no injury for my neighbor to say there are 20 gods or no god. It neither picks my pocket nor breaks my leg. Now, I'm not seeking to, to, to tear down Thomas Jefferson or, or our forefathers, but this, this quote, to me, encapsulates pretty well how, how we view government today and how we look at freedom. We think that there's no legitimate act of government except to, to basically be our, our protector, to be a custodian. But it's, government is not supposed to lead in any particular direction, right? And of course, if we extend this to areas that are below us, we can see that they don't work very well. Like if you extend this to, to the, the concept of, of parents and children, if we say, well, it's not the parents' right to lead their children in any particular direction. Parents are just supposed to be custodians of their children, basically just, just protect them so that they can decide how to live on their own. And this is not... This is not the correct path. This is not the right way. But this is, how we treat, this is how we treat our authorities today. We treat them with disdain. So you can look at uh, typical debates between conservatives and, and liberals today, and, it, and it, it goes to show what we're fixated on. So many conservatives, we want a small, weak government, or in the case of libertarians, we might not want any government at all so that everyone can be free to do as they choose, right? It's not government's place to tell us how to live. We should be free to do what we want. And then liberals, they want a big, strong government, but they want it for the same reason, so that the government can defend our right to do what we want to do. And so the common denominator is that everyone wants the right to do what they want to do. Everyone wants to be left alone. So. I would posit that this deep yearning for freedom that we have today is worship. We worship freedom today. Freedom is, is a main god of our modern world. So this modern worldview is revolutionary, where authority flows not from the top down, but from the bottom up, making the individual sovereign. So I believe this belief is not new, and at its core, it is merely an expression of pride which was the first sin. The sin of Adam in the garden, the sin of Satan. So pride or self-worship comes before destruction, as we read in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before the fall. You know, it's not an accident that we've devoted an entire month to pride in our country. And in that month, we flaunt every manner of wicked, abominable practices in the name of freedom. Pride is an image of disintegration and disunity, an image of loneliness and breaking down, of everyone doing that which is right in their own eyes, of stealing the crown and placing it on our own head. And that is exactly what we see today. On a societal level, if no one is listening to anyone else, if we view our neighbors through a lens of resentment and distrust by default, things break down. They quit working. And we see that everywhere. Broken families, broken homes, broken lives. We are being invaded by strangers without, and we are rotting from within, with plummeting birth rates and a devastating rise in hopelessness and addiction and apathy, all as a consequence of this pride. 
We don't think man ought to have to serve anyone, but we can't get away from it. Everyone serves something. So there's a deep, deep irony in making freedom our highest aim in our society. For in doing so, we become more than ever slaves. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll spend a little time here. So 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And drop down to verse 10. But chiefly then that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. And for brevity's sake, we can drop down to 19. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same as he brought in bondage. That passage reminds me of the, of the state that we're in today. We think that we're free. There's a quote from, from Johann von Goethe, which uh, admittedly I'm not very familiar with, but I, I really like what he said about freedom. He said, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. And that is an image of us today. We think we're the 15th most free nation in the world, right? We've, we've, we've got it down. We're at the pinnacle of human achievement. But if you look around us, it's painfully obvious to see that our morality has not improved with the addition of, of freedom. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and start talking about biblical freedom. So the modern ideal of freedom differs greatly from the very important and central concept of freedom in the Bible. So to start, God delivered our ancestors out of bondage in Egypt. And this is a very, very high-profile case. There's no telling how many times this is referenced in the Bible. God is very proud of the fact that he delivered us out of Egypt, out of bondage. God is our liberator. So Christ is also often described as, as our great liberator. So in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 3, it reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up, bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the open of the prison to them that are bound. On John 8, 34 through 36, Jesus, ans Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's another one in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. This is a reference to the, the, the harrowing of hell 
and Christ descending into death, descending into hell, and freeing the captives. So Christ is our great liberator. Liberty is, is a, a concept near and dear to the Christian heart. So obedience of, uh, to the law or will of God is also inextricably linked to liberty. So if we look at Psalm 119, the long psalm about the law, in 41 it says, Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation, according to thy word. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. If we desire to walk at liberty, we must seek God's precepts. They are, they are bound together. They cannot be separated. You can also turn to the, the, the book of James, chapter 1. James 1, verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be pleased in his deed. So not only do we have to, to hear the law of liberty, but we need to be a doer as well. Freedom in the highest biblical sense is freedom not from physical constraint or from the dictates of man, but from the bondage of our sin nature. God is not very concerned about our physical comfort here on this earth. I think that's pretty apparent. And God is also not concerned about us being cheated by our neighbor. If we look to the example of Christ... It's very clear that God says all these things will happen to us that happen to Christ. And we're not to worry so much about them. What God is concerned about is our bondage to sin. So the Bible makes clear the admonishment to respect earthly authority, not to disdain it. Speaking about being free from the dictates of man and God not being concerned of it. God is, is, is not concerned about us being cheated by man. So there's a number of references I have in this point, and we won't get to them all. But you can turn to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 5. It says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Be obedient to them. Your master is according to the flesh. Christ doesn't say to disdain your master, to throw off your shackles. He says, be, obe be obedient with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Now, does that apply to our situation today? So, our government is clearly extremely corrupt. But I will go so far as to say that most of the 
instruction that we get from our government is not forcing us to disobey God's law. Even even in our state of apostasy today, most of the laws still uphold some semblance of good. So we're, we're not forced to be rebellious. Rebellion should be should be an exception, should not be the, the general rule. And the general, the general tenor of the Bible clearly states this. We can go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humility is lifted up, pride is put down. So in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, And he changeth the times and the seasons, he removeth kings, and he setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. A general sentiment is also expressed in Proverbs 21, 1. He says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. God doesn't tell us that we need to rise up and take what's ours from the wicked kings of our land. He says, he is in control. We don't need to focus so much on that. We need to focus on him. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, and not using your cloak of liberty, your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We are to respect the authorities in our, the authorities in our lives. Now, this is not without exception. So the Bible teaches us that we can serve God through our service to the earthly authorities in our lives. But in rare instances, when authorities have become blatantly removed from the one true source of authority, which is Christ, if we are pushed, we are to obey God rather than man. So in the book of Acts, chapter 5, which I won't read the the whole thing that I listed there, but the the, the punchline is this. So it says uh, in verse 29, Then Peter and the other other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. If push comes to shove and we are instructed to blatantly disregard our instructions, then of course we need to obey God rather than man. You can also see this in in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verse 16, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it so be, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So it is clear that we are to serve God. But I believe most often we can serve God through serving and honoring the authorities in our lives. So it is also exceptionally, 
exceptionally clear that God has not promised us easy lives here on earth. So in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, uh, verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. We should not be so concerned about our physical well-being. If we're going through a hard time, we need to look for the lessons that God is trying to teach us in that hard time and not cultivate a spirit of, of defiance in our hearts. So every single apostle was severely persecuted for their faith. All save one were martyred. We live in the wake of a long train of martyrs. The Bible clearly states the main battle we face is not an earthly battle, but a spiritual battle. In Matthew 18, verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. We're not to be so concerned about our physical lives. We're not to be so concerned about the, the inequalities or the injustices that we face in this life. Our concern should be within. Our concern should be on our sin. So true freedom is the freedom to become who we truly are. It's the freedom to reach our highest purpose. Now this, this, this sounds a little bit like the message of the world today at, on the surface. Because the world, the world instructs us to be who you are. But when the world says this, what they mean is be who you are with your sin. Embrace your sin, essentially. But this, this statement here is a recognition that though we are born enslaved to sin, we are not our sin. So if you, if you turn to the book of Romans, chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. I'll go ahead and read this passage. This is Paul, Paul's struggle. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin, under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. 
For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I, I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now, Paul is an extremely deep thinker, and I won't pretend to be able to come to the bottom of all of this. But one thing he says for sure is that we are not our sin. We are in bondage to sin, but the sin is not us. God says he is a a consuming fire, a refining fire, and he will purge away our sin if we let him. We can also look at The book of James, chapter 1, verses 22 and 24 again. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So his natural face that he's looking at in the glass, in the mirror, that is who he truly is. And if he hears the word and does it, he's, he's coming closer to his true purpose, to who he truly is, to his, to his telos, what God created us to be. But if we, if we fail to do that, if we ignore God's word, then we, we forget what manner of man we are. True freedom can only be attained through service to God. In fact, perfect freedom is serving God. We hear this every time we meet for service in in the beautiful book of of common prayer that we all have. This this term was coined by Thomas Cranmer. It says, O God, who art the author of peace and lover of concord, and whom knowledge in knowledge of whom standeth our eternal life, whose service is perfect freedom. I've always thought that passage was beautiful. So it is thought that the the words originated some 1,100 years earlier uh, by St. Augustine in a prayer commonly attributed to him. And it goes, God, whom to know is to live, whom to serve is to reign. And whom to praise is the health and joy of the soul. Whom to serve is to reign. It seems paradoxical. But this is the instruction that we're, we're given. If we're to keep our life, we're to lay it down. If we're to be free, we're to give up our freedom to him. So Augustine's notion comes from the scriptural idea that the author of the universe came to earth as a servant. And calls us to take up our cross and follow his example. John 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father, the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments, 
and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then, then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And down to verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. So this view of freedom restores the proper image of that which is above, giving itself to those who are below. And those who are below serve that which is above with, with thankfulness in their heart, not with resentment. So the book of John, chapter 10, verse, verse 11 reads, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. This is the opposite of our worldview today. We're told to stand up and take what's ours. You don't have to submit to anyone. You take the crown and you put it on your own head. But Christ says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He will place the crown on our heads. This selfless act of giving is what it means to love. And it is what happens eternally and continually between God the Father and Christ the Son and the person of the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. From the very beginning of time, God was not singular. He was plural. God the Father and God the Son. And the love that exists between them is the Holy Spirit. It gives new meaning to this passage. God is love. In this worldview, all goodness comes from above. It comes from God. He is the first mover and enables us to reciprocate his love by first loving us. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. Loved us. God, it is all up to God. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 and 8, 6 through 8. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not his set, set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. But because, but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out, of, out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's, not, it's because of nothing we've done. But it's because God is good. 
God is love, and he chose to give that love to us. John chapter 15, verse 4. Christ says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. So proper, a proper worldview of freedom places all the focus on God. It's not on us. We don't need to, to stand up. We need to kneel down before our Father and tune out all the noise of this world. So there's a, there's a really good quote by R.J. Rushdoony, which I believe many people hold in fairly high regard. Uh, this is a quote that my, my father shared with me a few days ago. He said, a society which makes freedom its primary goal will lose it because it has made not responsibility, but freedom from responsibility its purpose. When freedom is the basic emphasis, it is not responsible speech which is fostered, but irresponsible speech. If freedom of press is absolutized, libel will be defended finally as a privilege of freedom. And if free speech is absolutized, slander finally becomes a right. Religious liberty becomes a triumph of irreligion. Tyranny and anarchy take over. Freedom of speech, press, and religion all give way to controls, totalitarian controls. The goal must be God's law order, in which alone is true, true liberty. So winding down, I have a, a few more thoughts to share. The nation we live in worships an idea of freedom that is antithetical to Scripture. In the name of freedom, we've done everything from taking prayer out of schools to carving up children who believe they're a different gender to defending the rights of literal Satan worshipers. We have supported all manner of wickedness in the name of freedom. I pray that none of us fall into this trap. The solution is to recognize that true freedom is only to be had in service to God. Though we live like kings today in a lot of ways, granted by our vast technological achievements, we have only fallen further away and deeper into apostasy as a people than ever before. We have grown fat on the blessings of God and attributed them to ourselves, forgetting that Christ is the only name under heaven whereby man must be saved. We will attain salvation through no other means. We must hold Christianity up as a standard in whatever body of people we are part of. We need not focus so much on our own physical comfort. God loves us, but his love for us means precisely that he is not concerned so much with our immediate contentment. He loves us so much that he desires nothing less than perfection for each and every one of us, and his time horizon is infinite. Our mortal lives are but a drop in the sea of eternity. And a little suffering in this life pales in comparison to the immeasurable joy Christ has in store for us Amen. in eternity. The sentiment of many today is that we just want to be left alone. We often see ourselves as a decent enough person who is oppressed by a tyrannical government and we want no part of it. We easily fall into the attitude of, of the Pharisees in the Bible, giving lip service to the fact that we are sinners, 
but comforting ourselves that we are much less sinners than everyone else. Christ instructs us that we are not basically good, that we are not okay, that in our so-called free state, we are desperately wicked, that we are in bondage to sin and in great need of him. No amount of freedom in the modern sense will fix this. In fact, it will only exaggerate the problem. He tells us not to fear man, not to fear those that can destroy the body, and not to worry so much about the physical stuff, but rather to fix our mind on him. Paul tells us all things work together for good for those who believe. Our Savior and a cloud of martyrs show us that if we fix our eyes on him, we can be tortured, we can be chained to the wall in this life, but nothing can come between us and the love of God. Nothing can take away the freedom we have in him. Christ says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I know that seems disingenuous at times, but it is true. God does not lie. If we do not take the yoke of Christ upon us, it is crucial to understand that we, we will still have a burden to bear. There is no neutral ground. A yoke actually serves to spread the load out more evenly so it can be borne. Without the yoke of Christ, that burden will take the form of bondage to any number of demons that will inevitably take hold on us, and it will drag us down. Our passions are all tyrants that will eventually bring us down to hell if left unattended. Serving him and mortifying our flesh daily is the only answer. We must take up our cross and follow him. We must, like rebels in arms, lay our weapons down let go of our pride, and trust God to mold us into the creatures he intends us to be. We must give up our freedom to him, and only then in return will we be truly free. God bless you all.